to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible Talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. This week we hear what God has to say for Christians in the workplace. Whether you're a manager with authority or an employee under someone else's, Christianity will make a huge difference. It will make you exceptional. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. What would it mean to be an exceptional manager or an exceptional employee? That's the subject of an extraordinary number of books in the world, isn't it? Entire genres of writing, from motivational to technical to analytical psychology to leadership, financial analysis, statistical analysis, history across cultures, whether it's Machiavelli or Sun Tzu, all devoted to revealing the secret of success as a person in business. So much of it's about being noticed by the people who are around you, about standing out from the rest, about being better, about advancing self-interest, about getting your way. But dear friends, in this passage today, we find that Christianity is really the key to being an exceptional boss and an exceptional worker. The surprising key word to this Christian exceptionalism is the word submission. It, it's what makes Christian marriages exceptional managers for those who obey that teaching. It's what makes Christian families exceptional families, the relationship between children and fathers, for example, for those who will hear and obey this teaching. This principle of submission is a principle that Christians will seek to apply and it radically transforms behaviour in all relationships where there is an orderliness. And maybe the most ordered, the most structured relationships that exist in our culture, our culture which has sought to overturn all kinds of different orders, but one area where it, that orderliness is maintained is in the business world. Christian friends... We are to be exceptional in our work, whatever our position, whatever the work, whether we enjoy it or whether we don't, whether our boss is good or bad, whether our employees are good or bad. Christian workers are exceptional and we're just about to find out why. This whole section is about how to live a life filled with the Spirit. That's what this passage, this whole section that Paul is writing, is all about doing, living in step with what God says. Do you know what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life in the workplace? Well, if you do, you need to listen up. Of course, this passage is dealing with terms that are very awkward, the terms that are offensive and have bad, been badly misused in history. Uh, the terms are slave and master. Because we've come a, up a, uh, against this before, as we were looking at 1 Peter and in Colossians, uh, we have a separate WhatsApp group exploring these ideas quite slowly. So we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on that particular issue today. But there are a couple of things to bear in mind as we travel back 2,000 years in time. 
In those days, slavery was part of life in, in the city and the whole region that first received this letter. Actually, in the whole world, I think, at that time, it was a common pattern of life. Maybe we should remember that across the majority of the world and across cultures, across nationalities, having slavery has been the norm until relatively recently. In fact, the abolition of slavery from culture to culture has often been caused by the spread of Christianity. The first Viking king to become a Christian was the first Viking to outlaw the slave trade. Before the 19th century, the abolition movement, the anti-slavery movement, was perceived to be a mad minority opinion. Uh, here's a little quote. In, in, 19, in 1842, when the Brits, British Consul General went to Morocco, he sought to press the cause of abolishing slavery. But his request that the trade of African slaves be banned was greeted with blank incomprehension. It was a matter, the Sultan declared, on which all sects and nations have agreed since the beginning, since the time of Adam. He was saying that since then, slavery has just been part of the world and we should just accept it. Uh, another similar, uh, another Sultan said it, to, to be against slavery would be against our religion. That has been a majority opinion through the majority of history. And it's worth asking the question, what's, what's happened in the world to change that opinion? But that's for another time. But back in the day when this was being written, this letter of Paul to the Christians in the region of Asia Minor, between 10 and 20% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. There were some slaves who were slaves because they'd been captured in wars. There were other slaves who were indentured slaves. People had got them into themselves into debt and they were working off their debt by their labour for another person. Now it seems that in that time, as Paul was writing, there were some slaves who were members of the congregation. But there were also people who were masters who were Christians as a part of those congregations together being members of those congregations. Now that... That was radical. That friends, that, that, that slaves and masters could together be in a single congregation as equal members of the group was a radically countercultural event. But in everyday life, as they were back out of the congregation, what was it that defined the person who was a slave? Well, the primary thing that defined them was their relationship with their masters. They were under their master's authority. And they were to do their master's work as the master determined. And while there are many things that are different, there are very strong similarities between that relationship of a slave with a master and the, uh, and the concept of employment, <laughs> of a boss and a worker. Uh, I think some of the similarities between slavery and employment are particularly pronounced if you're a person who happens to have a mortgage. I mean, if you're an employee and you've got a mortgage, then your time is not your own to do with what you like, is it? If you don't work, you can be disciplined. 
And also your income is not your own to do with what you like. The bank has a claim on it. Your property is not your own. The bank has rights over it. If you earn enough, you can pay off your debt and achieve your freedom. So what we're going to do today is take the principles of working and being worked for, being an employee and being an employer, and map those over the teaching here. What should characterise the behaviour of a Christian slave? What should characterise the behaviour of a Christian employee and a Christian master, a Christian boss? Well, there's two areas in which Christian slaves, Christian employees, will apply the principle of submission in the workplace. First, their attitude towards their employer. And second, the work that they do for their employer. Have a look at verse 5, because that's where it talks about the attitude. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. As Christian people, we have but one Lord and one Master, and that is Jesus Christ. But our submission to him means that we will also submit to those who have an earthly authority over us. And this submission is not to be grudging or grumpy. It's not it's not to be uh, resentful, but it's one that holds the master, the employer, in an attitude of respect and fear, not false, but sincerely. Now, friends, just pause and consider how you think about and how you talk about your employer. Does the way that you think and talk about them express respect for their authority, the same kind of respect for their authority as you would offer to Jesus in his position of authority. That's challenging, isn't it? The words respect and fear here are the words used from the Old Testament that are usually translated fear and trembling. Paul's intentionally using language for obeying as if in the presence of the Almighty God for our attitude towards our employers, those in authority over us. Now, if I had said that, you might think it was blasphemous to say such a thing. But here, it's Paul, Jesus' chosen messenger, the one that God himself has sent to his chosen people, and he says our attitude to our employers, to those who are in authority over us, to, in our workplace is to be an attitude of fear and trembling in the same way as we would react if God told us to do something. Now, how would you react if someone used God's name in a disrespectful way? When you hear people swear using God's name as a swear word, how does it make you feel? Friends who are employed on this call it seems that you are to react in the same way if your boss is spoken of disrespectfully. How will that change your conversation with your colleagues when the gossip's really going? When I was working for a company in the telecommunications industry, as will happen at times in most businesses, sometimes the boss is disliked. I chose not to participate in those conversations that disrespected my employer. 
Sometimes I'd try and change the subject. Sometimes I would defend the boss. And sometimes I would simply depart from the conversation. Sometimes I failed to do this, and I was wrong. Notice, friends, that the fear and trembling, the respect, the reverence, is not linked in any way to the person being a good master, a good boss. It is simply that they are the master, they are the boss, they are the manager. And because they hold that position, Christians honour those in authority as they honour Christ himself. Now, we can think, I'm sure, of any number of what-ifs. What if the boss tells me to do this or that and all those kinds of things? But surely, when he's speaking to slaves with fewer rights than employees have, Paul would have known all of the kinds of difficulties this might have presented better than we would. And they're even more pronounced, these difficulties, in the way that Peter writes his first letter, as we've seen a couple of months ago. Yet both Paul here and what he writes in Colossians and what Peter writes has a unity of attitude. The worker's role is to be obedient to the one who calls them to work. Now, friends, how are you going with this, my Christian friends? How are you going with this call to obedience to those who have authority of you as you do your work? Well, that's the attitude But how does that affect the work itself? Well, that's what he goes on to speak about in verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. Friends, do you see the pattern here? If we know that Jesus is the Lord, if we accept that, we should consider him as the one to whom we are being obedient. It will affect not only our attitude, it will also affect the way we work. So we don't work for the favour of our earthly masters, our employers. Now, our work is primarily not for our master's benefit, our employer's benefit, but for Christ's benefit. We don't work in order to please human eyes, but we Christians, we work in order to bring pleasure to the one who is the real master, the one who has bought us with the price of his own blood. And we will do it because we put our hearts into it. We will do it, verse 6, doing the will of God from our hearts. Verse 7, we do it wholeheartedly. Now note again, it's not the quality of the master that determines our dedication to our work as Christians. It is not the worthiness of the work that determines the amount of effort we put into it. A number of years ago, I remember having a conversation with a young person uh, um, who'd secured work after his degree, but the work he'd secured had nothing to do with what he'd trained for. And actually, he couldn't see any real benefit to his work that he was doing. He was involved in communications with um, customers in a financial institution, but he trained to be a dentist. 
His hope was that his training would lead to a job that would be able to help people. And he added even ideas of going over and being a medical missionary. And his, his current employment just didn't feel like he was doing that kind of work. Now, his desire is laudable, isn't it? It is right to want to work to help people. But there's a temptation to think that the work he's currently doing is in some way less honouring to the Lord than the work that he wanted to do. And perhaps it's even tempting to think that it was less worthy of the effort. But friends, this teaching that we're getting here from Paul indicates that it's not the work itself that makes it of eternal value. What makes our work of eternal value is the one for whom we are doing it. So those who might be doctors or nurses, for example, you can't think that your work is somehow more valuable to God than a person who's a banker or a clerk or a call centre agent or an actuary or a telemarketer or a slave. And the one who's a street sweeper working a trade or an accountant or working in AI or doing coding, whether you're working in a call centre, taking complaints, it's not less valuable to God because the value of your work is not found in its outcome. The value of your work is found in the one for whom you're doing the work. And if you're a Christian, you're doing it for the creator of the universe. As we realise that, whatever the status of our work in the eyes of the world, even if it's regarded the most lowly work that the world considers... (laughs) Uh, my first job uh, was coming out of university was that I worked um, for six hours and 21 minutes a day in a call centre operation where I had to put up my hand if I wanted to go to the toilet. My job was to send messages to paging services. Essentially, um, this is what you would do before you had mobile phones and texts. Each call I took would be between 10 and 20 seconds in duration. So I took between 120 and 180 calls an hour. I was taking around about 1,000 calls every shift. If I got back from a break uh, one minute late than it was on the schedule, I would receive an official reprimand. Now, if I counted the value of my job according to what I was contributing to society, I would get pretty down. But my good attitude towards my employer and working like a slave, (laughs) working like an employee of Christ, doing God's will from my heart respectfully in the eyes of God to Christ, as if I was working for God, that made even that job of eternal value. Now, we know this is true because we know that this is what God's like. We know that God does not take the status of our employment or of our work into account as he looks at us. Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. God takes no note of whether someone is slave or free, employee or employer, employed or unemployed. Rather, he will reward us for our attitude toward him as we do our work for his glory. So, friends, who are under authority, if you're under the authority of another person as you work, how are you going with the application of this 
to your everyday life as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What will you be doing when this call finishes? How can you apply this principle to what you will be doing? Even if your boss is incompetent, (laughs) even if the working and management principles are not what you would like them to be, even if the standards applied are a hindrance rather than an assistance to your work, how will you do it well because you know that Jesus is Lord and you will work and speak and act in a way that respects and honours your employer as you would honour and respect your almighty master? Well, that's the section about being a worker. What about being a master? What about being someone in authority in the workplace? What if you're a manager? What if you are the CEO? What, what, about, what about that kind of a role? How, a, how is a Christian in that kind of role to practice the principle of mutual submission that we have being applied in this passage here? Now, notice that the instruction to masters is quite short. Now, the reason it's short is not because they have less need of instruction. It's not because they have a more privileged position and therefore need to worry less about their situation with God. Actually, it's quite the reverse. And it's actually quite offensive to people who take authority to heart. Look at verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Now, do you see how offensive it might be in a culture that was segmented according to status, where the value of the master was infinitely higher than a slave, to speak to a master and then tell them that their attitude and action should be the same way as their slave would have been deeply offensive. But this is the spirit-filled person's way of understanding the application of worldly authority. What, what is the same way that governs the person in authority? It is the Christian master's knowledge that, just like a slave, they are under the authority of a greater master. That as an employer, as a manager, you are not working for the eyes of other people, but just as slaves are working for Christ, so you are too. Now, friends, the great temptation for those of us who have authority over others is to begin to think that that position really matters. That we are, because of our position, because of our wealth, because of our power, because of our authority in this world, we start to think of ourselves as being better than those who work for us. And because we have that authority, because we have power, we start to use it for ourselves and start to demonstrate our status over others. But a Christian with authority over others is a person who knows Jesus. The spirit-filled person with authority knows that authority is not given for their own benefit. No, authority is given to be used for others, in service of others. And bear in mind that The one they call Lord, the one who is the greatest master, the one they call their king, that one died a slave's death on a cross. Jesus died a death of a slave. 
And if you call that one who died the death of the slave Lord, if you call that one King, if you call that one Christ, how on earth could you possibly think that your employee, your worker, your slave is by nature lower than you are? Remember Christ when he washed his disciples' feet? Feet washing was the work of a slave, and Jesus did that work. And if he did that for them, they must not think of themselves above that kind of service of anyone else. So masters, masters, employers, CEOs, whatever your position is, if you have authority in the workplace, you should demonstrate your Christian masterliness by following the example of your great master, by loving, by lowly, uplifting service of others. So for those in Ephesus who had slaves, whether Christian slaves or not Christian slaves, the instruction is, do you see it there? Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Christians in authority at work. You know something about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that he is Lord over both you and your workers, your employees. And he has not given you authority in order to be a threat to others. In the same way, they will one day be accountable to God, and so will you. And your earthly authority will make no difference then. You will not be judged by how much power you had, or how much wealth you had, or how much authority you had, or over how many you had authority or how much you achieved with the people you had under you. No, verse 9 says there's no favouritism with him. When Alex and I used to fly from Australia to England many years ago, uh, we did it a number of times, there were different queues we could join in order to enter the country. One was for citizens, and the other one was labelled aliens. <laughs> then we got upgraded to others citizens and others. But friends, before God, there is no special cue for the powerful. There is no special cue if you were a manager, if you were a CEO, a CFO, or any other position of authority in a company. Now, because we know that, Christian people who have authority will not act as if our earthly authority has any real or lasting or eternal significance. And the way we act towards our workers is not contingent upon them being good workers or not. It is not based upon whether they are a believer or not. They are, our attitude toward them is based instead on your sure and certain knowledge that there is no substantial difference between you before the master who really matters and them and the master who really matters. And so you, you, you will not use your power, Christian manager, Christian boss, to be a tyrant. You will not be a boss who is defined by threatening behaviour. You will not be defined by exploiting your power as if you were better than your employees. 
if you're a person with authority over others, how is this principle going to show itself in your workplace at the end of our call today? Now these have been worked examples for us so that we Christian people can learn to apply this principle of mutual submission to any situation we find ourselves in. The principle applies to us whether we are under authority or whether we are in authority. If we're under authority, we are to respond to the authority that is over us in a way that is characterised by obedience and submission, as if the authority were Jesus himself. And if we are in authority, we're not to use that authority as if we had no accountability, but we're to use our authority acknowledging our submission to Jesus the King. And it's not about the people we're managing or how we're managed, but it's about Jesus who is the Lord. These things enable us to react in a spirit-filled way in any relationship in which we find ourselves. Consider now how this principle can be applied to your relationship, for example, to the government that is an authority over us. Or if you're a member of the government <laughs> that's in authority, not based upon your agreement with their policies or whether you voted for them or not, but based upon submission to them as if submitting to Christ. Now, do you find that just a little bit offensive? I mean, what if the government changed substantially and was even more hostile to Christian belief than what we have now? Like the government under whom the apostles were writing letters like Ephesians. Friends, that makes no difference. Because of their, their worth and worthiness does not make a difference to our attitude toward them because we have Jesus as the Lord. And what was his example? He submitted even to the authority that killed him on the cross. What is your relationship to traffic wardens, or to teachers, or to lecturers, or whether you're a child, or a father, or a worker, or a husband, or a wife, whether you're working in a relationship, there's patterns of authority. And if you are filled with the Spirit, if you are a Christian person, your behaviour will reflect the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.